0: Nothing speaks of tribulation and terror pouring out on planet earth more than a reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The Apostle John writes about them in Revelation chapter 6 as he describes what happens when Jesus opens the first four of the seven sealed judgments. Imagine a rider full of deception on a white horse, followed by one bent on destruction on a red horse. Soon after a rider on a black horse brings drought to planet earth. And then, if that isn't enough, a rider on a pale horse delivers death like the world has never seen. This is not some Hollywood movie. This is Earth's future reality, as only the Bible can prophesy. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Do you remember where you were on the morning of September 11, 2001? I bet you do. Hello, and welcome into to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for tuning in, and it was one of the most tragic days in United States history. But a season is coming when tragedy like that will happen on Earth every day for seven years, and the perpetrator will not be a group of terrorists. It will be God himself. Today, Ron takes an inside look at the future judgment of God on planet Earth. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth and the Return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse.
0: Well, most of us can remember when the world changed on September 11th, 2001. If I were to ask you to recall where you were, you could probably do that. If I could ask you to recall some of the feelings that you had when you turned in the news stations that morning and you saw the images, you, you could probably recall some of those, those feelings. All these many years later, it's hard for us to, to shake Uh, the feelings of shock that we had that day when Islamic terrorists attacked the United States of America in a predetermined, calculated, and coordinated kind of way. Uh, The haunting pictures of 9-11 are still in our minds. Uh, The airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center, the buildings aflame, desperate people jumping out of buildings and falling like rag dolls to their gruesome death, the Twin Towers collapsing to the ground in a pile of debris, billowing clouds of dust, incinerated human remains. It, it was all very apocalyptic to us, wasn't it? I mean, the scenes are just staggering, and we're wondering, are we, are we looking at real life, or is this a movie, or, or what is this? Well, I want you to imagine waking up to a horror like that or something worse. Every day for seven years, war, disease, famine, earthquakes, celestial disasters, and a cruel dictatorship that blankets the earth in seemingly an unending catastrophe, just one after another cascading upon the inhabitants of planet earth. I want you to consider the most devastating experiences of human suffering and human history, and then multiply the intensity, the frequency, the length of those experiences, and then you might begin to understand what it will be like at a future time in Bible prophecy, where the Almighty God of heaven and earth unleashes His wrath upon planet earth. It's a period of time in Bible prophecy known as the tribulation. I call it the worst of times. On planet Earth. Now, some of you came to church this morning hoping to hear a word of encouragement. You're saying, Pastor, you just lost me on that one. Boy, what a way to say hello to the church family this morning. You're wanting a message about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and boy, would I like to deliver one about that. That's, that's the fun stuff, isn't it? That's the sweet stuff and the sugar and spice, and we all love that. But a lopsided understanding of God's nature and His person and His eternal plan, a lopsided understanding of who He is and how He operates in this world is as dangerous as a lopsided diet full of sugars and sweeteners. And you know what that does to the human body. And so we need a a balanced understanding of the person and nature of God. Let me ask you a question. Do Do you have room in your theology for the wrath of God, you say, oh, preacher, that's not the God that I serve. No, the God that I serve is a God of love and kindness and tolerance. Why? I don't know the God you serve because the God of the Bible is all of that, maybe, God of love and mercy and grace. But if we're true to Scripture, the, the, the whole of Scripture, we also bump into something known as the wrath of God. And we do that in Revelation chapter 6. Some people say Revelation chapter 6 is where it really giddy-ups and goes in the book of Revelation. This is where some of those future events in Bible prophecy that uh, mystify us and uh, cause curiosity in our spirit really begin to, to, to get up and go. Revelation chapters 6 through 18 give us the details of that seven-year period of time in future Bible prophecy known as the tribulation, Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, a time when God turns his attention back to the nation of Israel, a time after, in my understanding, of the ordering of Bible event prophecies, after the rapture of the church takes place. And these chapters from chapters 6 through 18... Uh, unfold the wrath of God and the judgment of God upon the inhabitants of the earth and the nations of the earth in a series of three sevenfold judgments. Seven seal judgments followed by seven uh, trumpet judgments followed by seven bowl judgments. Revelation chapter 6 introduces the seven seal judgments. In fact, let's go back to chapter 5 for just a moment. Remember that scene of the church in heavenly worship? Uh, John relates the vision that he saw to us there in chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. A mysterious scroll appears in heaven. John goes on to say, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Great question. This is a very special scroll, a mysterious scroll. And the first question is, as he sees this scroll that is sealed with seven seals, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals? And when nobody responds, when it's quiet in heaven, John says, I wept. Now, I don't picture a little, you know, tear just kind of, making its way above his eyelid and strolling down his cheek. No, no, the idea here is that John wept uncontrollably because nobody was found to be… Worth. Nobody stepped forward and said, I, I can open up that scroll. Now, what was it about this mysterious scroll that caused the exiled apostle to weep uncontrollably? Many Bible teachers and scholars believe that inside this scroll contains the title to… Uh, the title deed to planet earth something that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden that was stolen from him uh, by Satan himself. And, and the, the, uh, one of the 24 elders, it says in verse 5, goes on to say to John, Weep no more. Behold, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, the Lion of Judah, who is Jesus, who later appears like a lamb who is slain, just Park in your mind the imagery of the lion and the lamb for a moment. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone who is worthy to open the scroll. Many Bible teachers say he's about to take back what was stolen from him and what rightfully belongs to him, and that was the title deed to planet Earth. That's why this mysterious scroll is so important. This is why it stirs up so emotion, so much emotion in John. By the way, the reference in chapter 5 to the Lion of Judah, and just a few verses later, to a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus is the lion who was slaughtered like a lamb. He was also the lamb who's coming back like a conquering lion. And if you understand those two images in the book of Revelation and in Scripture, then you understand the two advents of Jesus Christ. Two thousand years ago, he came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But make no mistake about it, friends, he's coming again, only this time as a conquering lion. And so the lion who looks like a lamb, the lamb who looks like a lion there in heaven in Revelation chapter 5, he alone is the one who's worthy to open up the scroll. And he does so. Beginning in chapter 6 and verse 1, and we're going to get to four of the sealed judgments today that are commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse because as each seal is opened up, a rider on a particular colored horse comes riding out, a picture of of calamity and catastrophe and, and apocalyptic things that are happening on planet earth. Let's talk about each one of those for a moment. The first is a rider on a white horse, and he brings deception to the earth. Let's read it in chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 and 2. John says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out to conquer and to conquer. So John sees this scroll, a static worship is taking place in heaven where glory and honor and wisdom and wealth and power and might and authority is given to the lion who looks like a lamb and the lamb who looks like a lion. This is Jesus Christ. The first seal is broken, and the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride into planet earth, and the first one rides in on a white horse. Now, if this were a Hollywood script… And the book of Revelation is no Hollywood script, but if it were, we'd think, hey, this is a good guy, because in Hollywood, good guys ride in on white horses, and they wear white hats. But but this this rider is a deceiver. In fact, the rider on the white horse is that figure in future Bible prophecy known as the Antichrist. He has many names, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but this, this is the Antichrist. He is a deceiver. The devil has always been a deceiver. He has always been uh, one who masquerades what the true Messiah does. And here, uh, this, this future world ruler known as the Antichrist is seen riding in on a white horse. But do not be deceived, friends. This is a really, really bad dude. He's a bad dude. Still
1: ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good Radio message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage, then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, select the Library tab to find a host of great resources at our online store. Again, that web address is somethinggoodradio.org. The first horseman of the Apocalypse will be the Antichrist himself. He'll ride a white horse and he'll deceive many. Here's Ron with the rest of today's message. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse.
0: Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter two for a moment. And I want to read what the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians. By the way, one of the the first sets of letters that he writes in the New Testament, chronologically, he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And they had a lot of questions and a lot of concerns about the end of the age and the day of the Lord, and Paul takes some time to answer those questions. And in chapter 2, he he speaks in detail about this one we know as the Antichrist. Uh, Let's pick it up in… Verse 3, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness, one of the names of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, another name, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming, proclaiming himself to be God. Make note of that. He takes his seat in the temple of God. And proclaims himself to be God. Paul says, Do not remember, or do you not remember that which, when I was still with you, uh, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in the time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he who is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This one, we know as the Antichrist, is, is the man of lawlessness. He's the son of destruction. He's known by many names in the Bible, including the little horn in Daniel's prophecies, the wicked one, the prince that is to come, the one who makes desolate, and, and the beast. And he comes in, in, in great deception. Uh, he, he comes… Uh, I believe, following the rapture of the church. Why do I say that? Because Paul goes to great lengths to talk about how he who restrains him must be taken out of the way before he appears. Who is he who restrains the Antichrist? Well, as we've talked about in messages past, Antichristian sentiment is certainly on the rise and has been in every generation, is certainly increasing in our time. But what restrains the Antichrist from appearing is the presence of the church and the Holy Spirit who indwells the body of Christ. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. The church, who is the salt of the earth, is is, is here on earth to hold back the decay of planet earth through sin and evil and wickedness, to hold it back to some extent. When the church disappears… At the moment of the rapture, when the restrainer is taken away, Paul says, that's when all hell literally breaks loose and this first rider on a white horse comes riding in to deceive the world. But make no mistake, he comes to conquer and for conquering. Uh, The prefix anti in Antichrist means against, or instead of. The Antichrist is certainly against Christ, but he's also a cheap substitute of the real thing. Uh, The first of the four horsemen has a bow, but if you notice, no arrow. He wears a victor's crown. Remember the Stephanus. He initiates war and starts the tribulation. By contrast, the real Messiah strikes down the nations with the sharp sword that comes from his mouth. Jesus wears the diadem, the crown for the sovereign ruler, many diadems, the Scripture says, and He puts an end to the tribulation by ending the war of all wars called Armageddon. It's interesting that this deceiver known as the Antichrist rides in on a white horse. Again, the devil has always tried to masquerade what the real Messiah is all about. If you hold your place here in Revelation chapter 6 and go to Revelation chapter 19, which details the second coming of Jesus Christ, that glorious event that ends the seven-year tribulation period, verses 11 and 12 in chapter 19, John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold... A white horse. Oh, now we have another white horse. Only the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Who is this a description of other than the Lord Jesus Christ? The true Messiah riding in on a white horse. The real good guy with the white hat. But the Antichrist is pictured riding in on a white horse too, only he's a deceiver. He's a masquerader. He, he, he's trying to do what the real Messiah does, and he deceives, he deceives the world. Now like most dictators and despots throughout history, the Antichrist will come to power by making empty promises and by luring the world into his trust through a well-thought-through peace policy. And many believe he will do what no other leader in the world has ever been able to do, and that is to negotiate peace in the Middle East and put an end to global terrorism. But peace is always fragile, is it not? And in the case of the Antichrist, it's temporary by design, because First Thessalonians 5 and verse 3 says, of this time, while people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period are a time of peace. The Antichrist negotiates a peace treaty on behalf of Israel and and brings to rest all the unrest in the Middle East. In that way, he just captures world attention because he's able to do what nobody else in world history has been able to do, And we all know that the conflict in the Middle East has been going on for as long as anyone can remember. Peace negotiators have come and gone. Uh, Some have have succeeded for a short period of time, most have failed. Some wonder, how will the Antichrist be able to do what nobody else has been able to do? Uh, How will he accomplish peace in the Middle East? Well, remember the reference in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to the time that he goes into the temple of God? Uh, Some see that as an indication that Israel will rebuild her temple during the tribulation period. And perhaps this is the way the Antichrist lures the people of God into his trust. Hey, I'll get your temple built for you. You go to Israel today, there are a lot of people who are making preparations for the return of the Old Testament sacrifices and the rebuilding of the temple the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the conflict between Jews and Palestinians and Muslim jihadists, you know that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem is no small deal.
1: You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, is part of Ron's series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Look for it under the library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Della Rosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where He shed His blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. All of us here at Something Good Radio hope you can join us on our upcoming trip to the Holy Land. To make a reservation or for more information, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio gets all of its financial support from friends and listeners like you. When you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you the complete audio download of the teaching series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Request this 20-message series today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099.
0: Now, the good news for the believer in Jesus Christ is we don't go through this time. My best understanding of the ordering events in Bible prophecy, and I understand there's a lot of debate and discussion about it. Some people have the, the, the rapture happening at the midpoint of the tribulation or later in the tribulation. My best understanding is the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. The church disappears. The restrainer is lifted. As a true believer in Jesus Christ, you you won't be here. You'll be the church in heavenly worship if you know Jesus. While all of this catastrophe is happening on planet Earth like, like human beings have never experienced before. So the good news is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you escape the coming night of evil that will blanket this world. But that's not something to, you know, click your heels in glee and happiness and say, well, I won't be here. That's okay. No, it should, it should produce great sorrow in, your, sorrow in your heart for those who have yet to believe.
1: That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.